everybody. Welcome yeah. to a new episode of Double Feature Versus. I'm Anthony. I'm Brad. Yeah, that guy over there, he's Brad. Uh, so today we got a special one. Uh, not one we really do often, but you know, it's it's something new. We got a, a murder mystery team up. Or oh, are you waiting for me to chime in on this one? <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting on you to chime in on this one. I, if you want me to talk to myself the whole time, I can probably... I think I can pull off a nice Brad imitation. I, yeah, I figured there good. was more to your sentence because you kind of just left it on this weird cliffhanger. And I was like, hold on, is, is he going to continue or? <laughs> well, I think I ended it where there's a question mark at the end. Oh, so we're, so we're doing a murder mystery thing today. Question mark. Yes. So today's podcast, we are doing Knives Out uh, versus the recently released Death in the Nile. So I think this is actually a pretty good pair up. Because originally I've I've wanted to do one for Knives Out for a while now, but it came down to what do we pair it up against? And I remember thinking we could pair it up against like Murder on the Orient Express, but it it didn't feel right doing those two together to me. Yes. So so you chose Monsoor Poirot's latest film, uh, Death on the Nile. Yes. So I chose the sequel. (laughs) Gotcha. Gotcha. (laughs) Uh. Let's just hop into it. Like, well, hold up. Before we get into it, any current current movies you've seen? Anything you want to say? Hey, I saw this recently, and um, I did see what was it? Everything, everywhere, all at once. So did I, man. Oh, would so? Let's not take great. too long on it. But did you like it? Oh, I loved it. I just thought it was a great film. I loved it. I did too. I think that it's pretty overhyped because everybody keeps saying, oh, this is the like greatest movie of all time. This is the shoe win for the Oscars win this year and stuff. That's all I keep hearing. And it's like, it it's ac- not that. I think it has accurate hype. I, I think the hype is accurate. I feel like it was, a. I feel like it has the same kind of hype Baby Driver kind of got. And some people would be like, oh, it's not that good. But it's like, well, Baby Driver was kind of, was pretty good. Yeah, you know. I thought it was really good. I really enjoy it and everything, but everybody keeps like hyping it to be like, oh my God, this is the best movie ever made. It's like, calm down. Just just cool it a little bit. It's a good movie. It's a really good movie. <laughs> yeah, it was. It, it is a really good movie. Um, Nah, you know what? I go even far to say five out of five. I really enjoyed that movie. Oh, see, that one's like a 4.5 out of five to me. Hey, I'm not mad at that either. I yeah. thought... Everything synced well. I never saw Swiss Army Man, so I wasn't. The only thing I knew about Daniels, uh, the directing team, Daniels was a uh, turn down for what that, that okay. hilarious music video. So I know they were kind of like you know quirky, but uh, I went to see. I went in this film with an open mind, and my wife and I, we just loved it, man. Oh yeah, uh, I will say the rock scene in it, without any spoilers. Um, it, it, I'm pretty sure that I choked on my own breath because I was laughing so hard at that scene. I like how the film deals with like, uh, basically, um, optimism versus pessimism. Yes. You know, cause there, there's one character without giving anything away, uh, that is so pessimistic towards the world. Like, listen, life is meaningless. There, there is no meaning to this, to this, to this world we live in. And the other person's like, fighting like no you you gotta feel something even if any everything is meaningless you gotta have some meaning yeah Uh, i I love that man yeah i love that it definitely like revolves around what is the point with there being the infinite multiverse 
Mm-hmm. And it kind of plays around with that concept. And it's one that I actually really love that I played around with because we don't see that played around with in like the multiverse kind of stuff that we see. They usually just go, oh, anything can happen. Let's jump into different universes and see what we can find. This one actually like dealt with the you know existential dread of such a thing. Right. Hey, man, I, uh, I got to say, man, this weekend... I cannot wait. I got a two for coming up. Northman and one the other one we're, that we're going to be talking about next episode. The unbearable weight of massive talent. Uh, which I already saw. Oh, you did? I did. There was a pre-screening event for it. So I went to that and I got to see it early. Hey, man, I got to tell you, man, I got to really thank you, dude. My wife and I, we tried out those black tickets. Worked <laughs> like a charm, dude. Now, I, did, I, I just assume have... that you're walking into AMC every day now and going, large popcorn, let's do it. What movie are you here for? I'm not here for a movie. I'm just getting the popcorn. <laughs> Man, listen, I, I did not know about this for the longest time. And even my uh, my wife used to work at AMC a long time ago. She says, I never, people never came up to me like with stuff like that at the concession stand. And um, there was a little bit of problem with the drink voucher. They was like, hey, could you show us the picture so we can scan the barcode? And I kind of had to go and try to find it and zoom out the picture because mm-hmm. uh, I'm like, you know, I, I got the code. Isn't the code better? But, you know, it works, man. Uh, thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, they always scan the barcode for me. The, the pin code, like, never works in my experience. Mm-hmm. It's always they have to scan the barcode from the picture, which isn't a big deal. Okay. All right. Makes sense. All right, man. Uh, let's get to the meat and potatoes. You know, usually we don't we don't usually do this, but uh, I think we should go chronological on this one. Um. You know? Yeah, we got to save the newest one for last. So let, let's go chronological. All right. So we starting off with knives out. Starting out with knives out. All right, knives out. So uh, Ryan Johnson, you know, one of my favorite directors. Uh, made this film and it's a uh, it's a murder mystery but I like how the film kind of turns murder mystery on its head um there's this uh very popular novelist kind of compare him to a James Patterson um he uh he's a very wealthy man he lives in the big mansion with his family uh every one of his family members has some level of shadiness to them and in some way are kind of leeching off him you know one of his sons uh, runs his publishing firm, but that hasn't made any own publishing work of his own. Uh, his daughter is, you know, uh, what, what, what was the thing that was wrong with Jamie Lee Curtis? Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. I'm trying to remember who he played. Linda he, Dredd, the, oh, the eldest daughter. So she basically just kept siphoning his money from him without any purpose and then it was her no, daughter that, was, that was, was tony collette's uh character that was Joni. um i'm pretty sure she was doing the same because oh, maybe uh it was yeah Joni's daughter was the one that was going to school right mm, yes which so Joni was the one taking money as well as, you know, paying directly for the school from his accounts and taking the money for her schools from the accounts. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's that. 
and then you know like uh you just said about jamie lee curtis um long story short he has a lot of family members that are tied to him that in some way or another leech off him yeah whether it's blatantly leeching off him or slyly leeching off him he's aware of some of it and some of it is kind of like a surprise to him when he discovers it right and then there's marta uh played by anna de armas who is harlan's nurse um and you know uh she uh they have a great rapport together he uh basically loves her like a daughter he's always playing games with her and um like 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 actual board games with her and uh she just has a loving presence and really doesn't ask anything of him doesn't like try to leech off him at all she's really the most honest person in that house well that she works in the house but yeah Mm -hmm. uh long story short um uh mr thromby uh is a announced dead and uh he's found you know with a, a knife at his throat and, you know his throat bleeding so that you know it's, it's it's a suicide uh however there are some detectives on the scene you know um the main like the the actual the detectives detectives are lakeith stanfield's lieutenant elliot and um who was the other guy that was the fanboy uh daniel uh, craig's uh no no been- not daniel craig the other one Oh, the one that was with uh, Lakeith Sanfield's character? Yeah. Uh, Whatever. That was... I I forget. Trooper Wagner. That's what his name was. Trooper Wagner. Was Was he a trooper? I think he was a trooper. I don't know. But anyway, Daniel Craig is a private detective. And he's known as like one of the best private detectives like ever. You know, and he was put on the case to decide whether it was really a suicide or not. So he ends up interviewing every member of the family, ends up interviewing Marta. And um, I like how this film goes. Like, that's that's the basic synopsis. But I like how the film unfolds to a point where I want to say, like, one thirty, and Ryan Johnson actually shows us what happened and actually shows us how, how Marta's involved with it and how she's basically trying to cover her tracks so that people don't think she did it, even though she witnessed how it was done. Right. So it basically, as we're kind of like learning everything that happened, we're basically following uh, Daniel Craig's character as he's Mm -hmm. trying to solve this mystery because he's been given just a newspaper clipping of, you know, the showing that he was, you know, uh, committed suicide is what was put in the papers and Mm -hmm. a large sum of money that was in an unmarked envelope just sent to him, basically alluding that somebody knows that there's, you know, foul play here. It wasn't suicide and trying to figure out what going, what's going on. You know, uh, I love how Ryan Johnson does that. Cause one of my favorite films, Looper, I like how as the movie starts, we're following Joseph Gordon Levitt's character. You've seen that, right? Oh yeah. I like how we follow his character and then, uh, we, we shift perspective after he shoots his future self and we see him live out his life all the way to circle back to when um, he goes, it comes back to the moments where he has to shoot himself. And then Bruce Willis, the now adult Joseph Gordon-Levitt stops him. Like, I like how he plays with narrative and you kind of see that in this film too. Yeah, he definitely, he loves showing you the entire hand that he has. Like if this was a poker game, he would literally put his cards on the table face up you know, except for one card and just right. go, go ahead, guess, Let, let's see what you come up with. And yeah. then he slowly kind of makes you realize, oh, you know, there's, there's something more at play here, you know? 
And sure. I love how they, he literally tells us exactly how he died. Like the entire thing of Marta, here's what you got to do. You got to, you know, leave, uh, drive away, come back, sneak in through the window and everything. Then take, you know, my coat and everything like that. So it looks like I left. And so you can put the blame on somebody else and guarantee your safety from this because mm. you'll have proof that you weren't here when I was killed. Uh, which he's going to, he believes that he's going to die because he got an overdose, uh, overdose of morphine. I believe yeah. it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's under the assumption that he's going to die and there's nothing that can be done. He basically has, you know, 10 minutes to live and his goal is to save Marta from being, uh, criminalized for his death when right. it was an honest mistake. I love, uh, I love that rapport with them when, uh, when, you know, Anna de Armas freaking out, like, like, oh, my God, I think I get you the wrong thing. Like, uh, I think I get you too many, too much morphine. And Chris, Christopher Plummer asks, well, how, how much how much did you give me? He says, I gave you this much. How much is it supposed to be? She tells him he goes, oh, that's oof, that's, that's way larger. Yeah, like, I want to say, like, she gave him 100 milligrams when normally he's supposed to have like a max of five. <laughs> right. And she's like. I, I, we got to do something in, in, in 30 seconds or you'll start convulsing. He says, well, you know, no rush. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love his comebacks in that scene. Yeah, He's too calm, which just makes it hilarious. And it fits with his character too, because he's a very right. nonchalant person. He's laid back. Yeah. You know, uh, he's, um, he's not a pushover, but you can tell he's an emphatic uh, guy. You know, yes. you can tell he has empathy, especially with the way he um he deals with Marta, even when he's cutting people off. Like when he tells Joni, like, listen, I know you've been taking money from me. I'm going to have to cut you and my granddaughter off. He doesn't do it out of spite. He does it because, listen, this is the way it has to be. You're stealing mm -hmm. from me. Right. You know, it, your family. But at the same time, I have the duty to make sure that you actually know how to do make a living yourself instead of right. just living off of me because eventually I'm not going to be here for you to live off of anymore. See, I know this is how, and you know, folks, this is a double feature versus when I, everything everywhere was an exception, but we, we, we discussed spoilers here. This is my thing though. Why do you think he killed himself? Like, I, I, I understand if you feel like, I don't want. I want to get myself before the morphine gets me. But do you really feel like he was depressed? Like I, I, I question that. Like what made him kill himself? Though I don't think he was depressed. I think it was more he was ready to go. You know, he didn't. He already knew that his life didn't have much left because this was just right after his birthday. Uh, he basically was cutting off everybody in the family, knowing that you know they were going to have to start living on their own because he wasn't going right. to be around too much longer. And he had already decided that he was going to give all his possessions and everything to Marta for literally being there like the daughter that he had plenty of that never cared about him. But Marta did right. care about him. So it was more, I need to protect this one person that literally I have no way to protect. And he also knew that he had already signed away all his will and everything to her. So if it came back that she had killed him, it would look like, you know, foul play. She wanted to get the money. Right, right, right. Right. So he had to do something that would make, you know, the police and everybody go, 
oh, not even a suspect. It's, you know, he killed himself. I guess that makes sense. That uh, makes he sense. must have had a bad birthday. He was tired of things and just he offed himself. I don't think he would have done so if the circumstances didn't come that led to that. Right. Right. Yeah, that's what I would say. Like, I mean, I, I guess it's convenience of plot. I, it's not something I really think is a big like, uh, oh, man, that's implausible. But I, I do kind of go, that is kind of strange that he just, just offed himself. But it's it's for convenience of plot. I get it. Yeah. Um, it convenience of plot. And it does kind of make sense with his character because here was the one person that he wants to protect. And all of a sudden, it's in his hands that there's only one way to protect her. And that's right. he's going to die anyway. Because as far as they knew at this point, he was going to die. There was no way that they could save him. You know, he was on living minutes away from when he was going to croak. So he might as well do something to be able to save the one person that showed him care in this world. Right. Hey, man, when I first saw the trailer for this movie and I saw Daniel Craig and I heard that accent, I said, no, no, there's no way I'm going to buy that for a whole two hours Daniel Craig, when I see Daniel Craig, I not only see Bond, I see British. I said, there's no way I'm taking in a Southern accent from Daniel Craig. But you know what, man? As hokey as it can be in some scenes, it it fits. It it does. It There are some scenes where it's more yeah. comical than anything. Yeah. You, uh, you, in some scenes, you're like, dude, that's just Daniel Craig trying to talk Southern. Right, yeah. It's, it, yeah. it's just... Daniel Craig talking all slow like right I I got uh we got suspects yeah and I uh I I uh, no one's gonna get uh past me and I'm like <laughs> come on man it, it would have gone so listen Ryan Johnson has his own creative reasons for what for why he does what he does but I would it would have been so much better if Daniel Craig was a British PI man I would have loved that but at the same time I, I get why he wanted him to be like this slow southern drawl because he wanted him to be able to say stuff slowly enough that you <laughs> knew what was coming, but you weren't entirely sure what he was going to say next. It's like that book Gravity Rainbow. Oh, I never read that. Nobody's read it. Yeah. <laughs> I got Gravity Rainbow on my bookshelf and I haven't read it. I plan to one day when I'm 50. But <laughs> yeah, eventually. You know, right. Um, yeah, man. I uh I hear what you're saying on that one. I I I understand the the creative choice behind it. Um, but dude, I gotta say, uh this movie criminally underused Lakeith Stanfield, dude. It did. Like, it is one of the times where you get excited because I don't know about you, but every time I see Lakeith in something, it's like, oh, I'm this is going to be great. You know, his performance are actor. always great. Yeah. Um, he was very held back in this. Anyone could have played that role. Like yeah. he was really like, I would have liked to see Lakeith play the role of the uh, of the trooper that was like such a big fan. That that way, I, I like the actor who did it. Um, mm. I think it was a uh, Noen Segan, but I would have liked um, if Lakeith like has some had a role that was that had meat on the bone right like, elliot was just following behind uh blank yeah his entire behind. thing was well what do you think about this well what are your thoughts on this yeah you know, where are we mm, gonna go now that's interesting and you know i'm like eh, all right 
I mean, I listen, I'm glad to see him, but I just would have wished the role had some more meat. Right. I, I 100% agree. Uh, the cast in this movie is very on point, though. Yeah. I will say that. Like, Lakeith, I wish that we got more from him, just because I know how good of an actor he is. For him to be basically second fiddle in all the scenes he's in, he doesn't have a scene where he's, like, the primary focus. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's 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 on purpose, though. Right. Because it's ma- you were mainly following Blanc and uh, Marta, but uh, and, and, and the, the suspects of the family. But uh, yeah, I got to say, slam dunk with every other role, man. And, uh, you know, the film's secret weapon is uh, probably Chris Evans as as Hugh Ransom. Oh, yeah. Like, like his his like his like snobby attitude in all of his scenes, like this, the, the moment after they realized that everything in the will and inheritance is left to Marta and he like drives off with Marta in the car like. This could. This is the best decision for all of you. Like this yeah. is the best thing that could happen. <laughs> this for is the all best thing that could have happened to this family. Right. Uh, yeah, I really loved him in this movie, man, because he just he plays the villain so well. It. That's one of the things. Like Chris Evans, he he actually has some pretty good range as an actor, because yeah. he can play a snarky guy. He can play like the heroic type. And then he can play like the snobby rich kid, you know, know it all kind of family member here who actually does come off as intimidating in some of the scenes as well. You know, I I, I saw it way back, man. Uh, there was a film he was in with Jason Statham and William H. Macy uh, called Cellular. I know you probably saw it. It was a very great underrated B movie thriller, but he was okay. like in that film. And I was like around the time of like final destination and, you know, films that had like these young leads of like teenagers or people who are close to being people who are a little older than teenagers getting into like very like tense situations. Uh, and he did, he did, he nailed that film, dude. So I saw even back then that, you know, Chris Evans does have range. Like, you know what I mean? Like he's more than just captain America you know, the the love interest in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like he he shined in this. See, I remember when he was first cast as uh, Captain America, and I remember going, Chris Evans, the guy that, you know, from all the, like, love kind of romance movies, and then... Not another teen movie. Right. <laughs> and then he also played, uh, what was it, the guy in Fantastic Four, um, the Human Torch. And I was like, he that was a good guy? torch, though. He was I, a good torch. It wasn't a bad torch. It's just those weren't good films. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So Rise of the Silver Surfer could have been so much better than what it was. Right. So it. it I remember hearing that and just going, "Really? That's the guy for Cap?" Mm, okay. Well, we'll see how that goes. I, I'm we'll not putting too goes. much faith in that. And I am so glad. Whenever those castings happen, I'm so glad when I'm proven wrong. Because Chris Evans ended up being one of the best people for Captain America. There are still some people who are holding fast to not liking Patterson as Batman. I see him on Facebook. Worst Batman ever. He was too goth. I'm like, dude, that Batman was true to the Batman comics. I think you just don't like Patterson. Well, come on. You got to keep in mind, what is the mainstream Batman that people think of? You know, and that is so far from the comics. You you think of Val Kilmer, you think of uh, you know, you don't, yeah, Adam West. You don't think of Val. Come on, well, come on, man. You think of Keaton. 
and Bale, even Affleck, before you think of Val. Right. But I'm saying people think of not so much like the dark Batman. They think of like the campier kind of Batman. Like Christian Bale was the first like dark kind of Batman to show up on the big screen. And people mm. still think that that's an irregular Batman. Really? A lot of people still think that because we still got a more campy Batman with uh, Ben Affleck's Batman. People were like, oh, yeah, this is the Batman I remember more. Uh, I don't know about that one, but um, Uh, check what general audience views are and you'll be very surprised. I'm not going to say you're wrong, Uh, but all right, let's circle back. Um, So. Uh yeah, so like um acting's on point. And uh I really I like how the film comments on a uh, social class and uh y- you know like little like microaggressions that Marta has to deal with at her job. Mm-hmm. Like you you see uh uh well, who's my man? You see Don Johnson talking with the family, like, you know, oh I I I, I voted for Trump and uh you know, it, we need to build the wall. And you see her try to like roll her eyes and try to walk away. They're like, they're like, Marta, come over here. You know, your your parents are from, uh, you know, Ecuador. They got in here the legal way, you know, and she's dealing with all this and like having stuff like that thrown in her face. And I like how when it's, I like how like, like people, <laughs> I like how people's emotions really come out when it's revealed that she, like everything is like, like hers. Like you see Jamie Lee Curtis go like, you bitch, did you sleep with my father? I'm oh, like, yeah. Where, where was the composed woman like like an hour ago that was just so professional and all that? You know what I mean? Like, I, I love how it, this movie basically takes a shit on, on rich people that, that don't earn theirs. Right. They basically have been stealing from this guy their entire lives and then find out that somebody else theoretically stole their money from them that they think they're owed. So they get real pissed real quick. And I remember like the scene where they're going up to him and like uh, reading the document. And they're like, there's no way this is real. This can't be real. There's no way. How is this legally binding? You can't give all my stuff to her. And they keep, you know, saying my money to her, not, right. you know, their father's money to her. It's that is my money. This is my house. You know, this is you can't give my stuff to her. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh, I I like the final twist at the end. I remember <laughs> I remember I was in the theater. I think I saw an early screening of this. I think it was like an AMC thing. And I remember when they get to the final twist where, uh, okay, it's revealed that Chris Evans was the guy behind everything. And while Daniel Craig is explaining everything, at one point he uh, he tries to stab Marta, after she tricks him into confessing that he killed um, who was homegirl, uh, Fran, yes, with the uh, with the morphine, and uh, I like how <laughs> there was one guy next to me. He was so into the movie when he tried to stab her with the fake knife, and it was revealed that it was fake. There was one guy next to me that was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> like he was just so blown away by the movie. I could tell he hasn't been to, he hasn't been out much. Yeah, this was his first, like, murder mystery movie. This entire thing was just a whole, like, twirl of, like, a roller coaster ride just going, what do you mean that wasn't that? Oh, my God. They, oh, he's going to find the footprints. 
I didn't want to ruin his fun, but I did kind of give him a look like, are you serious? <laughs> but, you know, like I, he, he was having a ball, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that, though. And that's one of the cool things about this movie is it, that twist does kind of come out of left field a little bit. And mm-hmm. it, you kind of know that something's up with him with the way that he's being so nice to Marta to do this. And at first you're like, okay, he's he's doing this because it really screws out the rest of the family and he loves that. But then you kind of realize, oh, it's not about that. It's He's still getting something from this. And he found a scapegoat to get what he wants. So he makes a great villain for this movie because he comes off as lovable or hate-loved, kind of. Like, you love how, like, obnoxious and everything he is. And then you get to see him actually become a villain, and you're like, oh, so that that hate is, like, well-deserved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he earns the hate, but he earns the hate uh, well. Uh, I think I'm pretty much done with this, man. See, it, it's hard to talk about movies that are really good that, you know, you, you rewatch them for the show, but, like, when you when you when you you ain't got much to say except yeah man good shit yeah yeah this this <laughs> podcast would be very boring if we went yeah cast was great the plot was amazing i love the twist at the end okay next movie we, we could get through 20 movies in a single right. podcast that way <laughs> right this is why we watch films like you know bill and ted to really get to the meat of bad movies right nah, bill and nah, ted like is a bill good movie man <laughs> it's a good movie it's a good movie but um I gotta say, rewatching this man, I give it a I give it a nice four point five. Yeah, this one's a four point five for me. I remember the first time I saw it, I, I absolutely loved it. And this time actually watching it again, knowing how it all goes down and everything, and kind of seeing how uh Chris Evans' character kind of takes uh Marta away and plays the good guy act, knowing full well the full story, mm-hmm. it, it does add a second layer to it. This is a good one to do a rewatch of because you'll catch all those little cues that it was giving you the entire time. Yeah, you know, rest in peace to Christopher Plummer. He he passed away right after this movie debuted, didn't he? Didn't he? Was it that close? I remember that he passed away. I didn't remember that it was like right as this one came out though. It was around that time though. I think it was like not too not too long after it came out. Um No, he died in 2021. Really? Yeah. Last year? Yeah, last year. February oh, wow. 5th. Almost, I thought it was the same. Just year. a little over a year ago. Hmm. All right, then. Uh, all right, my bad. Well, still rest in peace, but you yeah. know, my, my bad on the dates. Yeah. Uh, Great actor, very much missed. But yeah, the, the last three years kind of just are a single year, more or less. <laughs> Come on, man. Who are you telling? Especially in times of COVID. Uh, all right, man. You want to take the mantle on this uh, this next movie? Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> you Here, recommended it, man. Here's I, here's the fun one. Okay. So, Death in the Nile um, is the continued story of Detective Poyo. Poy, Poiro. Yeah. It don't matter how yeah. we say it. Um, it's the continued adventures of detective. The guy with the stash. Yeah, the guy with the stash. The continued adventures of stash detective guy. Uh, after the events of Murder on the Orient Express, 
he takes a trip to Egypt where he runs into his buddy Buke, who invites him to the wedding of two people, uh, Lynette, played by Gal Gadot, and Simon, played by Army Hammer, who are thrilled that uh, a star detective has come to their like wedding reception and everything like that. And after discovering that they are being stalked by one of Simon's exes, uh, Jackie, played by Emma Mackey, uh, they decide to change the party venue to a cruise ship that will cruise down the Nile River. Uh, Perot decides to join them on this, and from there, uh, it, stuff happens, Lynette dies, and it becomes a mystery of how did she die. Look, man, I say this not with as not with as much verve if I said it as I said it about other films, but uh, garbage. Uh, th- garbage. This movie man. is a mess. Uh, garbage. So this movie, I will say, this movie did fix one of the problems I had with uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Um, but it it kind of ignored the other two hundred and seventy of them. Let me tell you something. Go ahead. I'll let you go. So, um, to put it blatantly, this movie does actually have a decent kind of twist with, like, who the murderer was, what happened, and everything like that. Uh, The problem with it is it doesn't give you any hints to what's going on. It feeds you wrongful information in the attempt to throw you off course. So, when they tell you, oh, here's how they did, you don't go, oh, I could see that one coming. I'm smart. You go... You didn't tell what where did all that information come from? You never alluded to this at all. I looked at it as, hey, you know who this could be, right? Uh, I was like, yeah, it could be that character. No, no, no. Uh, look that way for a second. All right. Now look back. Hey, it was this character. Yeah, but that's who I said in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I understand. But, you know, you, you I, I had to send you on, on a few roads and a few detours for you to get back here. Yeah, we, we had to tell you that it was definitely these other characters and do all this weird winding bullshit to make you convinced that it could have been any of these other people. Let me tell you something, man. Uh, I'm not a big Agatha Christie whodunit type of fan. Um, outside of Alfred Hitchcock's show, that stuff never really got to me. I like Knives Out because it's, it's because it subverted it. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely now, dude. Let me just let me just say this, man. Kenneth Branagh is a great actor, uh, director. Man, he really is hit or miss to me. I I liked Belfast. I I didn't like this. Um, I wasn't a big fan on Murder on the Orient Express. I respect him being old fashioned with it. I respect him paying homage to the old uh, Hercule stash guy. But I was like, dude, I can't I can't do it, man. I uh. I, I muscled through it because we're talking about it. But if I got to wait until the last one third of a movie for things to get interesting, there's a problem. Yeah, if I, I remember wait, I was watching this one on Hulu. And when the murder finally happened, I like actually were in. I, I paused it and it's halfway through the movie. An hour in. I was like, if I got to wait an hour in to have Gal Gadot die and have me be invested in who did it. That's a problem. Yeah. For the plot to actually start in the movie, it, it starts at the halfway point. That shouldn't happen. 
listen, I'll tell you this. I didn't mind the whole flashback in the beginning for how Pyro became became Pyro, why his why his stash hides part of his past. I said, okay, that's great character death. I had no problem with that prologue. But the dance scene in the beginning of how Gal Gadot and Army Hammer met, fine. Skip past all that pyramid bullshit. Because mm. that was that just lasted too long. I'm like that, like, dude, why are we in these caves? I don't understand. I don't need an hour to spend with each of these characters. Just yeah. jump into the meat and potatoes. Right. They took too much time to like build up these characters that all just have throwaway lines. You know, because you have yeah. you know, I, I love Russell Brand. I really do. I think his comedy is top notch for his stand up and everything. When I like I, the Russell Brand now. I think he's Oh really? Better. Okay. Yeah. But um, go ahead. I, I miss his like old kind of off kilter insanity. You don't know what to expect with him kind of days. I, I miss that Russell Brand. That's the Russell right. Brand I grew up with. I got you. But uh, at the same time, like I saw him in this movie and I was like, oh, OK. You know, at first I was like, I think I recognize him. I think that's Russell Brand. And then he had his first like line of dialogue. And I was like, OK, that's Russell Brand. This might actually right. be interesting. And then he did absolutely jack shit. Nothing. The entire movie. And then you're introduced to all these other characters like, you know, this is my cousin. Oh, okay. This is my cousin. She does blah, blah, blah. And she works in the Dunana factory where yeah. they make flowers or some bullshit. And yeah. then none of that matters. N- none this, of it fit. This is an old friend of uh, Stash Man. This is his mama. And these are these two old ladies that are always stuck at the hip and just happen to be with his mama. I'm like, what, what, who are these people? Like, I don't get it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, and here's this lady that he likes, and he's actually secretly dating, but her mom, his mom, doesn't like her. Okay, does that have anything to do with the plot? Nothing at all. It'll never come up again. Oh, okay, thanks, movie. You're, ooh, it man, it doesn't come up again. You're really focusing on all the things that really matter in this murder mystery. When's the murder gonna happen? We still got half an hour before the murder happens. Okay, good, good. I'm glad we're getting through all this dialogue. Oh, here's the angry, uh, jealous ex-woman who you expect to be the murderer, but you hope that this movie subverts that. But no, in the end, she actually does turn out to be the murderer. Yeah. It's like, come on, man. Listen, there are times in this film where, again, I I do. I love Kenneth Branagh as an actor. He shows death. Like, I love the one. I love the scenes between him and Sophie. uh, Okay. Okonodo, excuse me if I'm saying that wrong. The singer, I love the scenes between him and her. Yes, like the jazz singer. Yeah, it shows layer to his character. Like he's, I like how he's interrogating her, and she says, she says, "Man, this is exciting. Like you know, I get to see you in action. Oh, I will not fight. I will not uh, uh, fall victim to your flirtation during my work." She says, "A woman makes a pass at you, and you you think is is me trying to uh, trick you." Your last woman might have really did a number on you, huh? And then you see him pause a little bit, and then you just see him kind of move on back into his like detective role. Like I like scenes like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I like I like the rapport between them, and I like how this is somebody who you know he really does try to confront his past throughout the film, and you you know you learn of his past love and how he looks at the relationship between Galvador and Army Hammer and knows that there's something. There's something there that's like more lust and love or something there that's just not right. Um, but I like how they they brought depth to to the character of, you know, uh, Mustache Man. 
Yeah. But Mustache you know, Detective Man got some good character development. Uh everybody else didn't. Yeah. I I listen, I understand who done it. I listen, the, my problem with Murder on the Orient Express, it had a great cast, but I just wasn't invested. I'm like, once the most interesting person in the movie, Johnny Depp, died, I was like, okay, so I gotta be stuck with these other people. You See, know, and I, I get that. And the worst part is that movie constantly like goes, okay, so who done it? And I remember going, okay, so it could have been this person or it could have been this person. And then at the end, it's like, surprise, they all done did it. Everybody wins. You're all heroes here. You solved mind. the murder. <laughs> I don't mind that. The thing I do mind is that I wasn't in, I wasn't that much invested by the time we got to that point. I was like, oh, okay, everyone did it. Is this over now? You know, like, mm. I, I just wasn't that invested by that point to really care. Yeah, like I, I had the same feeling with this movie too. Where by the time they tell you exactly what happened, I was like, "Oh man, what a shock!" But why did he do it? And I still, I can't even remember what the purpose was because what the it, money? It's the money. They was it the money? the money? Okay. Yeah, they were trying to get the money. Like you know, uh, the whole thing was a setup for him to fall in love with her and you know get married. And you know how it is. It's the See, money. I do want to lay out for a minute what their plan was that they almost got away with because it is so contrived bullshit. I absolutely do love this in a what drugs were you on when you came up with this storyline kind of way. So in order for their plot to go off, uh, they had to Jackie had to be there doing her stalking stuff and get uh, Lynette worried enough that they move the entire party onto a ship. At that point, Jackie has to somehow sneak onto the said ship, even though security is told absolutely make sure this person doesn't get on the ship. At that point, uh, Jackie has to create a ruckus that makes Lynette go, I'm not dealing with this. I'm going to go to bed. So she can then do, pull out a gun with a blank round in it and pretend to shoot Simon so that Simon can be like, oh my God, my leg, it's bleeding. Go get help. And everybody like wanders out of the room so he can take the gun that still has two bullets in it. Seems like you do remember. Oh, I, I, oh this is such contrived bullshit. I, of course, remember this. Um, I don't remember the reason they did it, but I remember the entire thing of what they did. So with those two bullets still in the gun, he goes in, shoots Lynette in the head one time um, that nobody hears somehow, goes back, uh, shoots himself in the leg, you know, so he's actually bleeding, uh, wraps up the gun, throws it overboard to for some reason, even though there was no reason to do that because the gun, whatever. Anyway, moving on. So Dr. Dude comes in and finally sees him with his bleeding leg. It's like, yep, that sure is a bleeding leg you got there. No foul play here. You know, so he takes him to get his bleeding leg fixed. Um, crazy girl who only shot a blank round is put to sleep with morphine or something like that. So that way there's no chance she could have killed Annette. And then that, why? I hate this. I you know goddamn why, hate this. <laughs> this is an Agatha Christie. This is an Agatha Christie mystery. They're all contrived. You know why? It is such contrived bullshit, though. This is like that one in a million shot of this actually working kind of plot line. Because it, there's so many variables. You know, look at Knives Out. 
and how that went down. That was super planned out. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly how to make it look like it wasn't him. He knew how to pull all the strings perfectly, and there weren't any variables in it. The only variable that was in it was Marta, which, guess what? That ended up screwing him over in the long run because that was the one variable he didn't think of that ended up causing his plan to fail. Technically. Well, you know, they... Uh, you know, Detective uh, Stash Man. They didn't. That was the one variable that caused them to fail. You know, because uh, of course he has to catch him. Well, technically, they depended on him being there because they knew that he would be able to solve the mystery in the wrong way and pin it on somebody else. I can't remember who they were trying to pin it on, but let me. T- uh, yeah, yeah. Let me tell you something, man. This movie actually, when it got to the last one third and like more dead bodies, so to speak, start piling up, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm actually kind of intrigued. But it shouldn't wait. You shouldn't wait 90 minutes to have bodies start piling up for me to be intrigued. That should have happened at minute 30. Yeah. Well, no, this is 90 minutes into an hour and 20 or a 120 minute movie. The movie is almost over. Mm-hmm. You know, this is yeah. I oh this movie, man. <laughs> it's a messy film, dude. It's very messy. I like I like how Stash Man, you know, gets his redemption. I like how in the end he chooses to, you know, uh pursue a relationship with the singer. Uh, she was probably my favorite character, to be honest. I love a line she says in the pyramids when uh when they're talking, he says, uh, uh what did he say? He says, uh, he says, you got, he says, you got a husband. He says, um, oh man, she had a great line. What was it? She says she had, she had seven husbands. Uh, they were all tired and she got tired of them. She says something that was, that was charming. Yeah. Anyway, I like her and I, and I like how he pursues a relationship with her in the end. And I like how he shows his full face with, with the scar and not hiding it through the mustache anymore. But, you know, outside of changes, to, you know, Stash Man and his death. Uh, this, this movie's a 1.5 to me. It's not good. Um, it's not good, man. Yeah, I, I got to uh, slightly disagree with you there. Um, this is a 1 out of 5. A 1? Wow. Yeah, this one just was not... Uh, it. This was a bore to get through um, to the point that you even just mentioned something that didn't even occur to me in this movie, which is at the end, I didn't realize that he had shaved his mustache off. I was so tuned out at that point that I was just like, oh, cool. He showed up to the club with the jazz singer. And <laughs> and then the credits rolled, and I was like, yay. <laughs> wow. Okay. You, you didn't even notice that, huh? I didn't even notice that. Uh, I gave it a you, you could have put a gun to my head and said, what was the point of that last scene? I'd be like, just pull the trigger, man. You're going to get through this a lot faster than this movie that way. <laughs> I, I, I give it a 1.5 for the character death uh, of, you know, Stash Man and uh, uh, for the last one third. I, I, I give it that saying, you know, this is a 30 minute, 30 minutes of this is a solid movie. Um, <laughs> Out of 120 120- out of 120 minutes, I give this movie a solid 22 minutes of good movie. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, maybe. 
All right. So uh goes without saying, dude, I knew this before I even started watching Death on the Now. I'm like, Knives Out is gonna win. I'm oh, like, Knives Out wins in your opinion? Of course. Uh <laughs> it's all it's they're ahead by by you know half a point. Um yeah, but nah, just man, barely, just, just barely. I knew when I first started watching Death on the Now, I was like you when you started uh Zack Snyder's Justice League. I was like Oh God. <laughs> Because I, I remember I didn't like Orient, Orient Express that much. I was like, man, I didn't really like that movie. But Brad really wants to watch this. <laughs> I See, I just it. wanted like a murder mystery. And it was like, oh, this isn't a new one. You know, this might surprise me. This actually might end up being good. Maybe they learn from you all their hope. mistakes. You had hope. And yeah, I, I, uh, I shit in one hand and hoped in the other. And guess what I ended up with? <laughs> uh. You, um, I, it, it popped up on HBO Max, and I was like, I know Brad is going to mention it again. So, hey, we can find you that Death on the Nile episode. I'm like, all right, yeah, I'll watch it. I mean, I asked if you had another suggestion for Knives Out, because I wanted to do one for Knives Out, because I wanted to talk about it, because it is such a great movie. Um, It's a toss-up. I mean, I, you, you could we could have picked any murder mystery, to be honest, but I feel like we could have picked that Adam Sandler uh, Jennifer, Jennifer Aniston movie that came on Netflix. <laughs> it was literally called Murder Mystery, right? I we could have done uh, what was the uh, the board Clue. We could have done the Clue movie. Clue. I actually heard that's a good movie. I never saw it. I haven't seen that one either. That probably would have been another movie to pair this up we, with. We could have treated ourselves, man. You know what I mean. But uh, yeah, man, uh, knives out wins totally. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yep. Uh, before we go, anything else you've seen lately? Um, nothing else comes to mind. Oh, I did finally watch the new Pixar uh, Turning Red. How was that? Um, it was okay. It, you know, it Pixar movies kind of are hit and miss. This one's more on the miss side than the hit side to me. That's a shame. But it used to be the top dog. Yeah, this one's you know closer to like onward, where it, it was entertaining, but you kind of, I left it and kind of went, okay, I I barely remember any of this movie. Like a couple hours after watching it, so it, it's it, like the, it's like the good dinosaur kind of right. Yeah, like it was like it, good it, dinosaur it was, onward, where it was like yeah, that was a fun ride. But mm-hmm. looking back, I can't really remember much of what happened in that movie. It's not like Soul where I left and I was like, man, you know, like thinking on it like an hour or two later and going, man, there was some depth to that scene. That yeah. was great. The haircut scene was amazing. I loved how they kind of like showed the little bit of like personality with the characters. And, you know, yeah. we got so much context without there being dialogue to say when, the context. When, when he's in the great beyond and all that, you know, uh, yeah, Soul really is a great movie. But I like that, um, you know, when you see a trailer for a Pixar movie, it's almost like you can kind of tell which one is going to be one of the top dogs and which one is going to be like, okay, that's the, I don't want to say throwaway because Pixar is still very, very much uh, brilliant and talented in what they bring to the table. But oh, yeah. you can tell that's, that's the one that's not one of the strongest. Yeah, it's not one of their strongest movies. It's It's a fun ride if you're looking for just, you know, a Pixar movie to put on and watch. Mm-hmm. But it's not one that you're going to remember as fondly as like Toy Story or Bugs Life, Wall-E, you know, Soul. Um, 
I am kind of looking forward to the Buzz Lightyear one that's coming up. I'm interested to see what they do to yeah. see how see how Lightyear was as an actual person uh, in that world, I guess. Hey, uh, I, I finally saw Free Guy. Oh, what'd you think of that one? I thought it was cool for what it was. I thought it was a solid Ryan Reynolds comedy. I, uh, you know, I, I, I just thought it was I, you know, like I said, Taika Waititi, he's a little hit or miss to me. and He was kind of missing that movie, but I thought it was cool for what it was. Yeah, I, I think this was a miss for that one. It just, it, I agree. It was a middle of the road movie, you know. It's a movie you see on IMDb TV on your fire stick and go like, I'll watch ads with this one. Right. I'm okay with watching ads while <laughs> I'm, I'm watching I'm okay movie. with getting a breather every 30 minutes. <laughs> right, right. Um, Little Rail was not funny in that movie. And he's usually funny. Like, you know, his friend, the guy that worked with him at the bank. Oh, yes. Yeah, he's usually funny. He wasn't that funny in that movie. Yeah, you're talking about uh, Buddy. Buddy. Yeah. I think that was his name. Yeah, yeah, his name was Buddy. Yeah, he yeah. he kind of got pushed aside a little bit. Yeah, he got he ended up getting a, a Lakeith Knives out role. Yeah. <laughs> Sad to listen, say. <laughs> listen, man, let me tell you something, man. Uh I know you you still haven't even read Saga, but uh when you finally get to Invincible, dude, great story, man. Did I, I tell I'm, you I finished it? Oh, did you finish Invincible? I finished all whole invincible, man. I got to nah. start going back into it because I stopped somewhere like 20 issues in or something. I, I didn't read those 144 issues. I inhaled them. <laughs> I know. I, I think it was just like three weeks ago. You were like, I think we're going to start reading invincible. I, I keep hearing good things about this. <laughs> Dude, when the story hits and it goes in depth about him being a superhero and like the moral complications that can come from that, like, one of the things I want to tell you, I'm not going to ruin anything for you, but one of the things I want to tell you is that at one point he literally asked the question like, you know, we catch these guys and we put them back in prison. Why don't we just kill them? You know, the prison's not going to rehabilitate them. Like, mm-hmm. why don't we just just ask them? Like, uh, you know, Arkham Asylum is not going to rehabilitate the Joker or Scarecrow. Yeah. You know, they're, they're going to break out. Like, why don't we just kill them? Um, and I like how Robert Kirkman approaches that. He kind of approaches it in a funny way at first, but then he takes it more serious. Uh, yeah, this is very well done, man. That was a great series. Yeah, I will say Robert Kirkman is a very good writer when he has his own characters. I think he falters more when he's playing with other people's characters. Like when he's done the Marvel comics kind of lines that he's done. Yeah, I've and, heard that. You know, I think he's done some for like... Uh, I can't remember what other character he's written for outside of like Marvel and everything, but it kind of falters a bit versus the walking dead, which is absolutely phenomenal and invincible, which is really fun. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I really enjoy it, but um, that's pretty much where I'm at so far. Uh, you want to cap off here? I think this is a perfect place to cap off. All right, y'all. Thank you for joining us for this uh, knives out episode. Uh, y'all take it easy, uh, and, uh, like, share and subscribe. Uh, see you on the next one.